Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 169, Gorgeous Darling. Sunday, May 21st, 2017. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yin Hu podcast has a Facebook page, and it's available on iTunes. Each week, I post show notes, photographs, and links to the things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. This episode features the following segments. On the Porch, Ever-Expanding Skill Set, and Yarn Lover at Large. Before I get started with the regular segments, I will announce the winners from last episode's contest. The prompt was to describe a region of kindness, kind of a place of refuge in your daily life or weekly life, and the responses in this thread are really heartwarming and gratifying, and they have been a pleasure to read. I have selected two winners. The first winner will receive uh, the goodie bag from the retreat that I held at the end of April, as well as a quilted bag from Fernanda, who uh, was so generous and brought quilted bags for everyone at the retreat, and there were some at the end that she refused to take home with her. So I got her permission to give a few away on the podcast. So the winner of the first prize is for post number 13, Flutter By Song, and she said that her region of kindness was at home, she was with her daughter, with her husband in the other room, and her dream of a family was coming true, and she just thought that that was a really special place. So congratulations, Flutter By Song. Get in contact with me uh, with your mailing address, and I will get that prize out to you. I have another quilted bag that will go to Anne Cash 1029 for post number 11 in the thread. And she wrote that her Master Gardeners group is her region of kindness. And that sounds like just a fantastic place to share and learn and laugh. I really enjoyed reading all of the posts in this thread. The next contest is a participation contest in the Summer Tops Make-Along. You can sew, knit, crochet, upcycle, embellish. There's still one month left to participate in this make-along, which is plenty of time for a summer top. 
And I have uh, some additional quilted bags to give away, as well as a $25 gift certificate to the Woolly Thistle. And these prizes are all for participation in the thread that's going on on Ravelry. There's some great idea sharing and pattern ideas on that thread as well. So join in. On the porch. Most of my recent knitting has been working on summer tops. I did cast on the Busta Beanie in this wonderful yarn dyed by Foster Sheep Farm. It's her Foster Sheep Farm yarn. And this was from a kit that I purchased uh, on the Knit Local Getaway when I visited Carol's shop. So I have cast that on, but I haven't made a ton of progress on that hat. It will just remain on the go over the next few months, probably. But I have been trying to get a lot of knitting done on two summer tops that I have on the needles. One is Jasmine Tea by Amanda Bell. I'm knitting this in uh, John Arbon Alpaca 2-3 ply, and it will have a Devon Gray Wensleydale lace top portion, but I'm not there yet. I am currently working on the bust increases. The knitting is going well. It's easy to make a lot of progress because it's primarily stockinette in the round. And I really like the fabric, the way the fabric is coming out. Since we spoke last, I also cast on for the Tsumu Tsukazi. It translates uh, from the Japanese to whirlwind. And this is a top knit from the neckline down. There are wonderful lace increases. You increase um, about 20 stitches every eight rounds. And it creates a beautiful but simple lace detail along the quote-unquote sleeve. Um, it's knit, you know, kind of all in one piece. Right now, I have separated the front from the back to knit the rest of the sleeve. And um, the knitting is going very well. I'm using Ella Ray Lace Merino. Uh, lace is kind of a misnomer for this yarn. Uh, it's a very plump ply, 460 yards per 100 grams. So it's kind of a light fingering weight. And um, I'm using US four and five needles. The pattern recommends four and six, but I'm doing my usual go down a needle size. And I'm knitting the smallest size of this garment. Um, it's quite generous in its shaping. So I think that will be, that will work out well. And I, I really like the fabric. I think it's going to be light and easy for summer. And the colors of this Ella Ray Lace Merino are like lots of aquas and pops of white, a little bit of yellow, a little bit of green. So I think it's going to be really fresh and fun for a summer wardrobe. I should probably try this top on and just see how the neck and shoulders fit. Right now I have it on a needle with a very small circumference because the, the yarn is so fine that I can scrunch the whole thing up on a pretty short needle. 
but I should probably take the opportunity now that I have split for the sleeves to put the whole thing on two different needles and to check the fit. I like the drape, I can tell that, um, and I, I just, I'm convinced that this is going to be a gorgeous summer top and that I will want to make it over again in a, a different yarn, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Once again, those two patterns I mentioned are Jasmine Tea by Amanda Bell and Sumu Tsikazi by Michio. Ever-expanding skill set. We've been cooking tacos during the month of May, and so far I haven't strayed too far from the usual suspects. But I thought I would share a little bit about some typical techniques that I use and some plans that I have before the end of May. When I make tacos, I prefer to use corn tortillas, a small size corn tortilla, because I just love that toasty corn flavor of a tortilla. And I like to heat them in my cast iron skillet. When I make a filling, a traditional kind of filling for my tacos, I use turkey instead of beef. And I try to amp up the flavor and improve the texture and mouthfeel because turkey is so incredibly lean by adding a few squares of really high quality dark chocolate to the salt and other seasonings that I use for the turkey. And as I saute it in a pan, I just let that um, chocolate melt in and reduce the heat a little bit to keep it from burning before it's incorporated. And it just provides kind of a smoky quality. And I think it's more about the mouthfeel than really the flavor of the chocolate. I also use this technique when I brown turkey for chili because I usually use turkey for a chili rather than beef. A few weeks ago, I made my typical turkey tacos for dinner and I had more than enough turkey for our evening meal. So I reserved some in the fridge. And then on the weekend, I made my first ever breakfast tacos. I used the corn tortillas again, and I melt a little bit of cheese on the top of the tortilla while the second side is warming in the pan to create a kind of a, a glue to hold in the other fillings. I had some eggs that I scrambled, added a little bit of half and half, and then I cooked them very slowly and gently in a nonstick skillet. And I put the eggs as the primary filling for the taco and then a little bit of that turkey more as a garnish than as the main event. And that was very good. I tend not to be a very big breakfast person. And granted, this breakfast was served at about 12.30. But uh, that was good. I really liked that. It was kind of a good cross between breakfast ingredients and more of a lunch preparation. And that's a technique I tend to use frequently 
which is to reserve some prepared ingredients and then incorporate them into a dish later in the week. It turns out that there was more than enough of that scrambled egg to use for the tacos because I try not to overfill my tacos. It looks like the taco shell can hold a certain amount of filling and then when you try to eat it, you find that really you've put too much in. This often happens. So I was trying not to overfill them and I reserved some of that scrambled egg for later in the week. I diced it and put it on top of a stir fry Something that I would not have done, I mean, I would not have spent time on a Wednesday evening scrambling eggs and then cooking them low and slow so that I could add them to a stir fry. But because I had that reserved in the refrigerator, it was a great addition to the meal. It was visually appealing, a little more texture and flavor, and certainly more protein into a mostly meatless meal that we were having on a weeknight. So that's a technique that I use quite a bit. I also like this technique, and when I post it on Instagram, I found that quite a few people have the technique of putting cheese and letting it melt right on top of the taco shell rather than just sprinkling cheese over the top of the filling where it's not very likely to melt. I really like doing that. That gave me the idea for a dessert taco. And I plan to try this before the month is out. My idea is to take a corn tortilla and spread it with, I have some homemade Nutella. My sister makes some, it's really, really wonderful stuff that I kind of hide from myself so it's not all gone immediately after Christmas. But it's a chocolate hazelnut spread that she makes and gives to us in little tiny jars. And I was thinking of spreading that hazelnut filling over a toasted corn tortilla and then filling it with softened ice cream, coating it with nuts, and then wrapping them tightly and storing them in the freezer until they're firm enough to eat kind of like a choco taco, which I did have one earlier in the month because I just really needed a snack from the convenience store and I was looking in the ice cream case and I didn't know about choco tacos. Did you know about them? I didn't know about them. So, I I mean, it was really a substandard ice cream experience, but one thing I noticed about the choco taco is that the inside of the was more of like a waffle cone kind of thing than a taco. Uh, But the inside of that had been coated with chocolate and then the ice cream was put in the center. So I started thinking about, okay, what else could you put into that shell or spread across that shell to create um, layers of flavor? So I think that would be interesting. I'm going to try that a little bit later this month. And I am committed to making fish tacos. I still haven't tried that, and I want to. And I just started receiving, as a gift from my mother, the Cook's Country magazine. It focuses quite a bit on technique. So it is not that there's a lot of outlandish, like, trendy recipes in there or anything, but it takes something like breaded fish and 
teaches you techniques to avoid all of the pitfalls. Like it's soggy or it's the filling is, um, the coating rather is burned on the outside. All these problems that you can run into with very standard types of preparations and the test kitchen folks really go through methods to avoid those pitfalls. The most recent issue has an article about breaded fish, and I think that would be a great set of techniques to explore, and then that fish will be the perfect fish for inside a fish taco. So I'll report on that when it happens. Yarn Lover at Large. I have been very fortunate to spend time at two sheep and wool festivals over the past two weekends, and I will spend considerable time talking about them and my purchases in this segment. But before I get to that, I just want to mention some upcoming events in conjunction with Hope's Favorite Things, which is a local to me fiber and fiber supplies shop in Bangor, Pennsylvania. Hope is the proprietor. She really specializes in art yarns, uh, hand-dyed fiber. She has quite a variety of fibers, prepared fibers, and spinning wheels and fiber prep tools in her shop. She has been a purveyor of Ashford products and now Maja Craft as well. You can demo things in her shop. She has been hosting last Saturday spin-ins all year. And the last Saturday of May is the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. She's having a little outdoor spin-in and a few vendors. I think she's having an ice cream truck. Things from the shop will be on sale. And there are some demos. I think someone's bringing some fiber animals as well. It's a fun family-oriented gathering. You can bring a picnic lunch, bring spinning, bring knitting if you're not a spinner. And it's a great way to meet people. I will definitely be there enjoying most of the day there and would like to meet some like-minded fiber folks. So check it out if you're interested. I will post links to these things in the show notes for this episode. Hope is also promoting an upcoming workshop at the end of July. She is hosting a two-day workshop with um, the highly acclaimed Jane Woodhouse, who specializes in natural dyes. And Jane will be doing that workshop. I think she may have done it at Rhinebeck and certainly Wing in a Prayer Farm, where she has six natural dye extracts plus indigo and the workshop participants kind of divide and conquer and dye this very wide array of well over a hundred different shades using different techniques, different strengths, I suppose, maybe even different mordants and post-mordants so that you get this crazy array of color and then you get to take some of the fiber with you as well as a workbook on types of preparation and direction so you could replicate some of this in your own home later on and it's just a lot of fun and a a great deal of learning. 
So if you're interested in that, it's two days. It's right in beautiful Delaware Water Gap area in Bangor, Pennsylvania. The cost is $235, which includes the workshop and lunch each day. And if you're not from the area, you would need to secure your own lodging. But there are a number of really accessible cost from low to high um, options for that in the surrounding area. So uh, think about it. And if you're free during those, that summer, um, July 29th and 30th, I believe, is the weekend. It's a Saturday and Sunday. Uh, certainly get in contact with Hope regarding that. She also will continue to host last Saturday spin-ins for the remainder of the year. So if you'll be in the area or you're interested in finding a community, a region of kindness, uh, you can certainly uh, take a look at the website or contact the shop to find out more. So now for some festival news. I attended Maryland Sheep and Wool and New Hampshire Sheep and Wool festivals there were a few similarities. Both were unseasonably cool and damp, although on the Saturdays the rain really held off, even though there was rain in the forecast leading up to both of those days. I think that attendance at the festivals was probably a lot less than typical, but maybe that attendance was really just locals who decided not to come because of the weather. Because I think that people who planned to attend and traveled from distances really had those plans and attended anyway. And hopefully they did enough shopping um, to make all of the vendors' travel costs worthwhile. Because I know that's, that's a really dicey thing to pack up all of your products and travel so far and pay for your festival space and, you know, not to have a lot of sales is a disappointment. So in the case of Maryland Sheep and Wool, I traveled via bus and uh, met up with Chain of Fools, Emily, the very first thing to do my first ever fleece purchasing. She had already done her fleece shopping and we were looking through medium wools primarily. I was looking for something that I thought would be relatively easy to prepare and card and spin. I don't have wool combs or a drum carder, so I wanted something that would be reasonable to prepare with hand cards. And I wasn't really looking for a colored fleece either because I thought I would purchase something that I could dye before turning it into a garment. I wanted a fleece big enough to make a garment, maybe even to use the choice parts for the garment and to have some left over for other kinds of experimentation or maybe even to use with my students. I've had a dream of taking a small group of students through a sheep to shawl course over the length of a year. And I think maybe this upcoming school year could be the year that I have time and flexibility a little bit in my schedule in order to do this as a, as a bonafide seminar group. And we're all 
working a little bit at our own pace, but really following the same procedure and methods. And so I wanted a fleece big enough that I could do something of my own and, and really have some left over for the students to experiment with. So I found a Cheviot cross. I really don't know that much about the farm or the breeder. I couldn't readily find that information online. It's a Pennsylvania farm, and I'm pretty certain that this sheep has been crossed with some long wool breed because the staple length is quite long, five to seven inches, I would say. It has a nice crimp to it. It has quite a bit of luster, even though Cheviot is known for down properties and having kind of a matte finish. It's quite strong, but soft. In the majority of the fleece, the tips are very strong. In the bridge area um, and maybe along the sides a little bit, perhaps this sheep had a habit of rubbing up against a fence post or something. There are some places where it's a little bit tippy, meaning the tips break off. Uh, but as I've mentioned in previous episodes, when a fleece has a really long staple length. I am not averse to snipping the tips for a portion of it that may be weak um, so that they're not um, making pills or, or nodules in, in preparations like with carding and then with knitting or just with wear. Eventually, those tips will come off. It's just a matter of when. And so I really don't have an aversion to snipping them in some cases. Uh, but primarily in, in most of the fleece is strong locks throughout. Um, it comes super clean. I have done a little bit of sampling already and I used hand cards, but I didn't make a roll lag. I didn't make a woolen spun preparation. I took that carded fiber and I rolled it up so that the fibers were still aligned and then I spun and it spins just really really gorgeous smooth and gorgeous and quite fine I think I can get my typical sport weight two ply from this yarn and for my sampling I have been spinning on a drop spindle I certainly do not expect to spin a sweater's quantity that way, but it's enough to give me an idea of how, how much I like this fiber, and I like it quite a bit. I purchased some unicorn fiber wash, and I really like it for cleaning the fleece. I have really, really hard water at Yinhu. And so I often use a great deal more soap or detergent than might be otherwise necessary in order to get things clean because it just kind of disappears in the hard water. And I felt that even a little bit of this unicorn wash, it, it didn't disappear. The, it was still doing its work and removing the dirt and the oils quite nicely. I don't like to overclean fleece, so my typical method is to um, use one wash with some sort of soap in it 
and then a very warm water rinse and that's it. The rest will come out um, when I, you know, wash the yarn, the prepared yarn. And when I add a mordant, you know, I might do an extra scour there depending on the vibrancy of the color that I'm expecting because too much lanolin on the yarn will um, prevent color from adhering completely. So that's a consideration to make later on. I think in working with large quantities of this fleece that I may also just do a cold water soak to open up the fiber overnight before I wash it. I have been working in the past with very small quantities of fiber and I can painstakingly open the, you know, open up the tips and sort of get some of the veg matter and and debris out of each little portion of the fleece before I wash it. But with this large quantity, I probably won't have time to be quite so painstaking. And so I think a cold water overnight soak will be a helpful step before washing to try to get the maximum amount of veg matter and debris out of this fleece. After I selected this fleece, I was pretty happy, but I guess I wasn't done shopping because I thought it was a a really good price for a fleece. This was not coated. I had been considering a coated fleece that was almost two times the cost. And I, I just wondered aloud to Emily whether I would really find that fleece two times as much fun to work with. And that for a first fleece, I, you know, I would rather go lower cost and really just be more about the process of doing it. And I'm, I'm really glad with that decision. But that meant that I could keep looking around and hidden in the long wool section, inexplicably, we found a Hog Island fleece. A little fleece. It's colored fleece, um, very dark grays, and a little bit even darker gray. That was sort of hidden among these long wools, and it's a very special fleece just because of being Hog Island. I think that's kind of a rare find, and also this sheep was raised by. Emily Chamelin's daughter, and it was shorn by Emily, and she is quite well known in the sheep world for her shearing skills. And Emily and I decided to split this fleece. So we each left with about two pounds. I assume it's two pounds. I actually haven't weighed mine yet, but I also uh, did a little bit of sampling of this fleece. It's a very, very short staple anywhere from one and a half to maybe just under three inches. The tips are a little bit bleached, but very strong. It washed up nicely. It's a very clean fleece. It washed up nicely, and I prepared it in very traditional rolags for a woolen spun prep with fibers going every which way in every direction. And I also have been spinning that sample on a drop spindle. It's plump, 
Hog Island has the characteristic of its uh, fiber being very spongy. It's partly due to the woolen preparation, but just partly what this breed of fleece is all about. It's very spongy. Uh, so I think it will be very warm in a two-ply, and I just, I really like it. Um, I suppose it's light enough that it could be dyed, but it's quite beautiful in its natural color. I have no idea what I will do with it necessarily, but it's, it's enough for a small project and will certainly be a lot of fun to prepare and spin. So I would consider my first fleece buying purchase an overwhelming success. I'm really excited to be working on both of these fleeces in the warmer months and to be documenting my progress, of course. And I also did a, a little other shopping. I bought a set of three bats from Hobbledy Hoy. I usually buy their batlings for spindle spinning, but this time these wasabi ginger bats really caught my eye. There's a lot of different fibers in mostly greens, but then a very bright kind of mango colored orange as well. And I'll be using these for my meditative spindling over the course of the summer. It's four ounces, so I think it will last a lot longer than the batlings that I typically buy. And then I also purchased a really interesting necklace. I saw it when I entered the festival and I thought, you know, if that's still there when I'm on my way out, I think I'm going to buy it. It's a really cool necklace made out of a halved avocado seed and carved with a dragonfly. Very simple, natural materials and very light and comfortable to wear, which I like a lot for summer jewelry. And it makes me think maybe I should try splitting some avocado seeds, drying them and, and try some carving method or maybe even paint. I don't know, that could be interesting way to make some DIY jewelry. Quite a bit of the day I spent with Carol of Foster Sheep Farm, or rather taking photos and videos of one of the competitions that was running at Maryland Sheep and Wool, which was the Natural Colored Long. The previous weekend, I visited Carol at Foster Sheep Farm, and she had just completed one half of each sheep that she planned to take to this competition. She said she had these two Wensleydale sheep that she just had really had her eye on. She really liked their fleece. She thought they really stood a chance in the competition. And so over the course of the weekend, when we were visiting for the farm and fiber tour, she had put each one of them up, I want to say stanchion, I'm not sure if that's the appropriate term, but kind of a grooming platform, and she had completed half of each sheep, just kind of trimming and grooming and starting the beginning stages of getting them spruced up. And she said half the sheep was about all they had the patience for, and then later in the week she did the other half, and she was really excited to take them to Maryland. They did exceedingly well. I was not able to see all of the competition that Albert and Amber 
um, participated in, but I got to see some of the beginning stages and just watching Carol with her sheep in comparison to the other contestants and their sheep, I was really able to get a sense of what it means when someone has experience, poise, really a command, really a relationship with their animal, they can really put it to best advantage in the show ring. And that was clearly the case with Carol and Amber and Albert. They were very frisky and fiddly and kind of restless in the pen, but when they were in the ring with Carol, they were just completely calm and fine. A lot of the sheep were really misbehaving and they never were. I think Carol's confidence in the ring just kind of carried over. So they ended up taking uh, Champion Ram, Reserve You, and Best Fleece in the show. So that was a really worthwhile endeavor for her. Um, just great um, promotion of her farm and her shop and the yarns that she's making. And she's really doing some wonderful things. She's keeping the ram and the U is off to a very special destination. If you follow farms and farm yarns on Instagram, I'm certain that you will be hearing about it in just a few weeks. But I'll just say Amber's going to need something borrowed and something blue. That gives a little bit of a hint. Last weekend, Samuel and I traveled up to New Hampshire for a very short weekend that encompassed a lot of things. It was a birthday weekend, a Mother's Day weekend. We met up with family and we uh, took in the New Hampshire Sheep and Wool Festival. So there was a lot packed into a very small amount of time. On Saturday morning, I decided to leave Samuel to sleep in at our Airbnb, and I went over to the festival for a little while and was so happy to find Claire of New Hampshire Knits as I walked through the gate. She was wearing her amazing rusty cardigan, and I saw several more over the course of Saturday. That is just such a beautiful sweater. Hers is amazing. And we were able to talk a little bit, of course, never as much as I want to, but we saw each other several times over the course of the day. Um, I was able to look over some of the equipment for sale, quite a few things that I don't usually get to at other festivals because of the small size, the fact that it wasn't crowded, it's really possible to turn your attention to quite a few different things over the course of the day. So I really liked the New Hampshire Sheep and Wool Festival for that. And a lot of vendors that appear at other festivals, really great things to see. So um, and on both occasions, I was super remiss about podcaster meetups. I totally flaked out on the one that was happening at Maryland Sheep and Wool. And then I pretty much only got to the very tail end of the one in New Hampshire. Most everyone had sort of wandered off by the time I finally made it. And that just had to do with 
catching up with family members and a lot of different things going on. But I was able over the course of the day to run into quite a few people that I was hoping to see, including Gretchen, Pop Silly, and Heather 01851, who I usually refer to as Heather zip code because I can't remember it. That's Lowell, Massachusetts zip code. And Mama to Eight, who I see locally, but I met two of her children. And um, some of my purchases include some yarn from Foster Sheep Farm, which I didn't purchase over the Knit Local Getaway. And my friend Mary Beth did. And I really wanted to make it a priority to pick up some of her 100% U.S. Superwash Merino Nylon Dyed by Carol. This is amazing, amazing sock yarn. And Mary Beth had purchased some, and I really liked the look and the strength of it for socks. And Carol was very sweet. She made a gift of a skein. So that will become some socks probably over this summer. I have a lovely um, blue. It's like blues and grays and a little bit of natural colors in the yarn, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun to knit up. I had ordered some Blacker Yarns Samite from Claire of the Woolly Thistle, and she delivered it at the festival. I bought two skeins of this beautiful wool silk blend in Bursting Fig, which is kind of like a brown-leaning purple color, and I I have plans for this yarn. It will either become another one of those Tsumu Tsukazi tops, or I might be using it to knit the yoga shawl because it's quite a generous put up and just two skeins will be enough for that. And I think that would be really versatile. It's not really a shawl. It's a stole. It buttons into a poncho. You can double it over. It's like super, super convertible. I saw the worsted weight version because Laura Knits PA had the arm shawl at uh, the retreat and I thought I would like it but I was not prepared for how much I was really drawn to this piece. Of course the arm is knit in a worsted weight yarn and I'm looking for something that has kind of a lighter weight, a little more versatility maybe for the cooler for the warmer weather. Uh, And I think that is a good candidate for the yoga shawl. So we'll see uh, what I think of the outcome of my first Tsumu Tsukazi top. And if I'm drawn to knit another one or maybe to go in a different direction with this beautiful, beautiful yarn. The other thing I was really um, keen to take a look at was the Taconic Twist yarn from Tammy of Wing and a Prayer Farm. She had been hand-dyeing this yarn in the weeks before the festival, and I was super drawn to the logwood color. It's a really sumptuous purple color, and I bought three skeins of that yarn from Tammy. I think it will become a shrug of some sort at the retreat. I didn't really talk about this in um, the episode following the retreat. We didn't have a formal 
fashion show or brag session about knits. But over the course of the weekend, folks brought out or just happened to be wearing quite a few of their hand-knit things. And it was a great opportunity to try them on in some cases or just to see them in person and hear the stories behind the knitting. Allison was wearing this really cool shrug. Actually, she finished it during the course of the retreat. I don't know the name of it. I've just messaged her recently about, hey, what's what was that pattern? But it looked like a really cool, simple design and a great layering piece. And I think that this sport weight taconic twist might be a candidate for something like that. I know there's the featherweight, but this is sport weight yarn, not lace weight. I'm not sure about doing that conversion. And a lot of people complain about the featherweight sliding off their shoulders. I have very broad shoulders. I'm not sure if that would happen to me, but I would like something that stays in place. So I'll be looking for a pattern for this absolutely gorgeous taconic twist. Ellen Mason was helping Tammy in in her booth, and I got to have a little bit of a conversation with her before she needed to leave the festival and to be able to tell her how much I have enjoyed making the Anne Carolyn smock and how much I'm looking forward to future patterns from her because I feel like it turns into a cool garment and that's great. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Ellen's pattern design and instruction is that she leads you through the process and shows you things that aren't just about making that dress, but about sewing in general and what are some important considerations. So I was very happy to be able to speak with her a little bit at the festival. My family had a fantastic time at the New Hampshire Sheep and Wool Festival. They were taking a look at the um, sheep herding demonstrations and they did quite a bit of shopping. My mom is enamored with Leslie Wind, who made her this beautiful zipper pull and put it right on her uh, zipping sweater right while she was visiting the booth. My sister Laura is very interested in weaving. She took home uh, an inkle loom that I had taken from my mother's attic and haven't had a chance to use. I had taken a Becca loom and an inkle loom, and I got started with the more traditional Becca and weaving and never really got around to using this inkle loom. When Laura visited on Easter, we were talking about it, and I said, you know, you should take it. And then my mom reminded me that I had a book on it that I had forgotten I had, so I dug that out. And Laura's just been having uh, really a lot of success weaving on this ankle loom. So she was looking at floor looms, four harness looms. She was looking at all kinds of equipment at this festival. And my sister Jessica was the winner of a braid of fiber at the retreat. She won one of the, um, the prizes for the raffle that we did. She is a beginning knitter um, knows a little bit about spinning, but she won this gorgeous braid of fiber and she started making felted beads out of this fiber. 
She gave me an absolutely beautiful felted bead necklace for my birthday. And she wanted to purchase some additional fiber for this craft. So everyone was having a really great time wandering around shopping. My family, my family is a family of makers. And even though they haven't been primarily involved in the fiber arts, they can always be counted on to appreciate handmade things and love meeting people behind the products and that kind of thing. And it was great to introduce Samuel to this this world that I love. He really hasn't attended any festivals or things. I've always been going going solo and he really enjoyed walking around meeting some podcast listeners who already knew about his music. And, uh, you know, seeing some of the stuff that I'm so, so passionate about. So we had a, a really great family weekend. And I just wanted to mention one more thing that was kind of at the start of my day at the New Hampshire Sheep and Wool Festival. I like to start as much as possible by uh, seeing some of the sheep, seeing the animals at a festival. So I was wandering rather early in the day around the sheep barns. And I exited right in the middle of a contest that was happening. It was a costume contest. And as much as I adore leaping llamas at Rhinebeck, I think I like this competition even more. The competitors I saw were all middle school aged, and they were charged with creating or coming up with a costume for themselves and also their sheep. And it was a literary contest in a sense because the judge was reading something that each child had written explaining the costume and in some cases how it was made or what it was made from because the competitors received extra points for making all or parts of the costumes themselves. So, so charming. My face hurt when I walked away at the end because I was just smiling so hard. My favorite, she wasn't the winner, but my favorite was a girl who was dressed as a cowgirl. And then she had written to explain that her sheep was disguised as a horse. And it was very simple. She had just taken dark brown yarn and she had kind of braided it into the fleece of her sheep to create a mane and a tail. Just really super adorable. I don't know if you've ever seen videos of people putting a clothing item on a cat and as just a reaction to the strangeness of it, the cat kind of refuses to use its limbs and just sort of falls over. One of the sheep in this contest just found the feeling of having clothing on to just be so overwhelming that it just kept lying down and giving up during the contest. And it was, it was covered with all of the wood chips from the corral where the contest was being held. And its handler just, she kept trying to upright the sheep and keep it moving along. It was just really, really funny. So, um, that's, the cover photo for this episode comes from a photo that I took at the competition. And I, I just think there are so many potential captions for this sheep with a mask kind of like at a, um, 
at like a costume ball or something. It was very, very glamorous sheep. Well, I think that's all for this episode, folks. Thank you so much for joining me. Eat well and stay strong as you hone your post-apocalyptic skill set this week. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine nature thing. Leaves lay down like a lady waiting for a naked man. River bends like an elbow, turning stone to sand. It's a It's a sweet nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing.
get you served is gonna get you high. You better tell your face to smile. Jump in the river naked and hang your country mind and say, sweet nature, sweet nature thing. Thank you.